Last week, I made my annual spring pilgrimage to the Seven Falls on Mission Creek. This incredible excursion. It's just a five-minute drive from downtown Santa Barbara, three miles from my front door, just off one of the busiest trails in Santa Barbara, but it is a high-quality wilderness experience. After walking a mile on a paved road, you reach the creek and break away from that busy trail onto a tiny single track that cuts between sandstone boulders and poison oak bushes <laughs> until it opens up onto a ridge. And within minutes, that ridge wraps around and you're removed from all signs of civilization. It smells of sage. Your hands and feet feel the dust and gravel as you make your way over those boulders. You see hummingbirds and red-tailed hawks. The trail eventually dips back down the ridge to the creek, and that is where the real adventure begins. There's a series of seven waterfalls that empty into teacup pools. Those pools are carved out of the sandstone cliffs in such a way that when there is water, there's no way to walk or climb from one pool to another. The only way to get down the canyon is to jump from pool to pool. But that is why you go, or at least why I go. Of course, the water is deepest in the early spring, just after our heaviest rains, and that water is cold. (laughs) Shockingly cold. Bring a wetsuit cold, which is my tactic this year. Because the creek is deep in the canyon, the sun does not reach those pools for the day. It gets very cold. And what's more, the wind howls through that canyon. You guys remember Sunday night, Monday morning, the wind was just blowing really hard enough to wake us up. This climb is not, this hike is not for the squeamish, but it is pristine. The water is crystal clear. The stone has hints of olive green and orange rust. The only sound, aside from the occasional frog, is the trickle of the creek. In one of those pools, a single sycamore tree has taken root. It stretches out over the pool to catch the sun at the edge of the canyon. And there are two pools below that sycamore. The second to last is long and deep, so you have to swim. You can't just like jump in and, you know, bounce your way across. You have to actually fully swim. And when you get to the edge, there is a ledge that opens up onto a broad canyon above the last waterfall. Below, the final pool is very deep, but between the top of the falls and that deep pool, there's a 20-foot jump. The final plunge into that cold, deep water. 
It is high enough that it gives me pause every time I go. When I finally work up the courage and jump, it is a long fall. And then a deep plunge in cold water that takes my breath away. I come up feeling invigorated, but still a little shocked. Terror and amazement. Mark's resurrection narrative, the story we read today, is a cold water plunge. It is filled with terror and amazement. Over the course of the liturgical year, we've talked about how Mark is the Hemingway of the gospel writers. He uses simple words with an economy of language to deliberate effect. And like Hemingway, Mark is not beating around the bush. There are no Easter bunnies, no flowers. There's none of the foot race or fishing story we get from John. None of the road to Emmaus from Luke. Only terror and amazement. And this is the way Mark's whole gospel ends. (laughs) Mark intentionally cuts the story short for dramatic effect. Have you guys ever seen the finale of the, of the Sopranos? Do you guys remember remember how it goes? Do you remember the final scene? Tony goes into a diner and he's waiting for his family to come and join him for dinner. At the front door of the diner, there's a bell on the door, and every time it rings, every time someone comes in, and Tony, the mob boss, keeps his eye on the door for safety. One by one, his family joins him. First his wife, then his son. And just when his daughter is about to go into the restaurant, just as the bodyguard gets up to go to the bathroom, there's a ring of the bell at the door, and the screen goes... No music, no credits, no images, black. This ending stirred up a lot of talk. Their entire website's devoted to this single moment. Did Tony die? What happened to the family? If he was killed, who did it? It was a mystery that spurred conversation. Same goes for Mark's gospel ending. Mark ends his story like The Sopranos, or, if you like, like Hemingway. Like Hemingway ends for whom the bell tolls, or a farewell to arms. Someone dies and boom, that's it. That's all we get. (laughs) There's no explanation. Mark says, they said nothing to anyone for they were afraid. (laughs) Scene. The first witnesses to the resurrection were speechless. I love that. Moments of great beauty do have that effect. As Ched Myers points out, this is an inversion of the mark and secret. Remember, throughout the gospel, Jesus is always going along, telling people he'll heal somebody, but they don't say, shh, don't, don't tell anybody. Shh, don't, keep, it, keep it on the deal. And of course, the first thing people do is run out and tell everybody. But here, we get the command to tell, to share this good news, and it is met Nothing, with silence. They say nothing. But what were they supposed to say? 
<laughs> we still don't understand the details or implications of resurrection. We don't know what to say, so we do what people who don't understand always do. We talk. <laughs> we talk a lot. For 2,000 years, people have talked and talked and talked and talked and talked and talked and talked to try to soften the blow, to introduce some Easter bunnies, because this is terrifying. <laughs> From the moment the Sopranos finale aired, people got caught up with like the Journey song that Tony selects on the jukebox and the daughter's parallel parking skills. But everyone really wanted to know what happened. And Mark's readers are the same way. They're shocked by this resurrection. What happened? What did it mean? And through that millennium of talk, we make the resurrection into a problem to be solved rather than jumping into the deep water of love eternal. As Kierkegaard writes, life is not a problem to be solved but a reality to be experienced. Such is the resurrection. It should be experienced, not solved. It should spur questions. It should stir great emotion. People who first heard Mark's story were terrified and amazed, just like the women in this story. I say it every year, but I love that it is the women who are the witnesses who are entrusted with the most important news of all time. In Mark, it is Mary Magdalene, Salome, and Mary, the mother of James. Shout out to my wife, who is also Mary, the mother of James. Of course it is the women who witness the resurrection. Throughout Mark's gospel, Jesus has repeatedly inverted expectations. The last shall be first. Blind beggars see, but religious authorities are blind. Amidst all that, Jesus defined relationship as following. In his last hours, his male companions abandon him and the women follow. They do so with immense courage. They are in a big city, not their city. Their friend, their leader, their relative, their teacher was killed. And his tomb is guarded by soldiers, Roman soldiers, soldiers of the occupying force. This is very scary. And the women go early. Here we get Mark in his best Hemingway saying, very early. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Mark. By the way, for the curious, sunrise today in Jerusalem was at 628. So the women were out and were moving at 6, moving, moving nice and early. They were crossing an occupied city in the pre-dawn. This was dangerous and the women were afraid. They asked themselves, who will roll away the stone? Who will roll away the stone? This is the question of our times. Who will roll away the stone? Who will roll away the stone of political divisions? Who will roll away the stone of environmental degradation? Who will roll away the stones of racism, consumerism, poverty, sexism? Who will roll away the stone? And the answer is always the same. 
There's one who rolls away the stone. Love finds a way through the impossible. Last week, we talked about how amazing it has been to watch as the children, the students from Parkland, stood up to demand reform on gun control and gun safety, school safety. Children, the very ones who are most at risk, the vulnerable, have taken leadership and inspired the nation. It sounds straight out of Isaiah 11. In that day, the wolf and the lamb will live together. The leopard will lie down with the baby goat. The calf and the yearling will be safe with the lion, and the little child will lead them. Most of us did not see that coming. (laughs) We did not imagine that change. Like resurrection or predators sleeping beside their prey, children transforming the country was unfathomable. But that is a story. Love surprises us, it shocks us, it reorients us. Like when a baby is born, the moment you put the baby in the car, or when you fall in love, the moment you get engaged, the moment you say, I do, love is both exciting and terrifying. It leads us to the edge of who we are and compels us to jump into the cold water. During the 2008 financial and real estate crisis, I had a friend named Ian who worked in real estate finance. (laughs) Ian is also a songwriter with a voice like Otis Redding. And as his work life collapsed, Ian took the terror he was experiencing and transformed it into a song. That song is called Worry Into Wonder. Turning worry into wonder means taking the fears we have. How will I make ends meet? When will this political tension end? Who will roll away the stone? And greeting those worries with curiosity. I wonder what will happen. I wonder what God will do to transform this situation. I wonder how love can change the world. There's a lot of good work to do in this world, and sometimes it feels overwhelming. Sometimes I don't want to look at the news at all. But then I think of the work I see you all doing. I see the interfaith leadership of Kathy. I see the model of faith of Casey. I see Lillian with her poetry, John with his academic writing. I see Norm with his biologic oceanography. Who are you, Norm? Oh, back there. Hey! <laughs> I see Linda with the Rose Garden. I see Mary Beth with the midwifery. I see John C. walking the plant. I see Diane with the Methodist Youth Home. I see Mom at Golden Gate. I see Tony and Madeline and Diana with immense courage in the face of illness and on and on and on. When I think of you all, my worries are transformed. 
transformed into hope and wonder. I wonder at the beloved. As I remember that love can transform anything, even death, as I wonder, speechless, I dive into that cold, deep water of love eternal. Amen.